Last week we really saw kind of one thing wrapped up into three things, and that is that God doesn't accept our sacrifices, our worship really, if it is not obedient and if it is not wholehearted and if it costs us nothing. And we said, I said this to you, and it's so key, sacrifice that costs you nothing is not sacrifice at all. That's an oxymoron. And, and so hopefully you spent this week and, and you really reflected on, on, on whether or not you are a person who is giving yourself fully to God and, and hopefully you, you took me up on the homework assignment and you actually did something that cost you something for the glory of Jesus. And today really at the beginning of Malachi 2, it, it's kind of a continuation of the passage that we looked at last week, but it, it's a little more harsh and it's on the, the negative side. And, and here's what I want you to remember before we even look at that. Romans 12, 1 and 2, something we read last week, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so, in the Old Testament, sacrifices were animals that you killed to glorify God. In the New Testament, God has told us that we who are Christians ought to give all of ourselves. That's the real sacrifice. And I, I kind of posed this question last week from Amos five twenty one and 22. Where it says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. And I ask this question. Is God, when He looks at our life and the sacrifice that is us, is He looking down and is He looking at our singing in church and our celebration of Easter and and things like that? And is He saying, man, that smells bad to me. I mean, that is disgusting to me because these people are half-heartedly trying to worship me. They aren't being obedient, but yet they're talking about worshiping me. And really, the sacrifices that they're making for me are costing them nothing. We said last week, and hopefully this resonated with you, that, that really, response to love is what causes us to make the greatest sacrifice. And in today's passage... Malachi 2, 1 through 9, what we see is that there is another force that can drive us to treat God differently, really to give God more of ourselves. And before we look at the passage again, I met Robin Williams once, and I try to tell this story as often as possible, and I thought that this was a good reason to tell you this story. But in my meeting, Robin Williams, and I'll give you the story in a second, I think we see kind of this other force that, that compels us to give more of ourselves to God, to be real people of sacrifice and of worship that don't do it half-heartedly. And so I met Robin Williams, and this is how it happened. I walked into an In-N-Out Burger in Mill Valley, which is just across the uh, Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. And I was going to school there, and I went down there for weeks at a time to take classes. And so I don't really know anybody down there. And In-N-Out Burger is a great place to go if you don't know anybody and have nothing to do. And so I, I walk into this In-N-Out Burger in Mill Valley, which is a really rich, rich area, uh, one of the richest areas in the United States, actually. And, and I walk in, and, and somebody just looks at me directly in the face and goes, Dude, Robin Williams! 
like, okay, where? I don't know this person. I don't know anybody, you know? And, and he's like, right over there. And he points, and there's nobody there. And I'm thinking, I'm in San Francisco. This guy's crazy. Uh, he's got to be nuts. And, and no, he's like, no, you got to come outside with me. And like I said, nothing to do. <laughs> okay, let's walk outside. So he points, and there's this, uh, there's this short guy with this tall lady. And I can't see him. They're probably 50 yards away, but they're nicely dressed. Look like it could have been Robin Williams. And so I, I call my dad. I'm on the phone. And I think I'm looking at Robin Williams. And, and I'm not sure. He's like, well, you don't know when you're calling me? Uh, yeah, I think it's him. Some guy told me who. I don't know the guy, but he told me it's Robin Williams. And so this black SUV pulls away and the crowd that's out there kind of looking at Robin Williams disperses. And, and the SUV parks. And I guess, again, I have nothing to do. Everybody else did. And so I just keep looking at this SUV. And it's, it's in the middle of this strip mall where everything is closed. And it's just sitting there. And I'm looking at it. I'm talking to my dad. I think I saw Robin Williams from 50 yards. It was awesome. And it's not, he's not moving. Like, okay, I got to go. I'm going in. So I hang up the phone, right? And, and, and I walk over there. And nothing in this strip mall is open at all. And so there's no reason to be headed there. So there's an ATM. I act like I'm using the ATM like this, and um, hopefully they don't ever get robbed. And they're like, this guy on video once was here for a really long time. And, and so I kind of walk around the SUV on this side, and I think I'm not knocking on the guy's door, you know, whether it's him or not. Tinted windows, I can't see inside. Uh, this is not happening. And I look up, and Robin Williams looks at me, and we give each other a look as if I saw one of you that I know in New York City. Like, I know you, but what are you doing here? I don't know why he looked like that at me, but but I I was like, hey, I know you, what are you doing here? Like, I was shocked that he was in that SUV or something. And he rolls down his window, and and, and I get this, I, I don't, I'm not like the most starstruck person, but it just kind of wells up and I'm nervous, and it's like, oh, it's Robin Williams, and, 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 I, I look at him and then I say the stupidest thing. And, and I think, I think just, I, this is what I say. I say, you're Robin Williams. <laughs> and I've regretted it ever since. And, and I did, I calmed down and I walked up and we had a conversation and, and, and I, I, I lowered, you know, kind of the nerves. But, but in that moment, where I was just kind of starstruck, it caused me to act differently. I would never look at you and say, hey, you're Graham. You know, I mean, that doesn't happen. Robin Williams knew he was Robin Williams. And, and, and I think that this type of awe, this starstruckness, is the other force that compels us to actually make sacrifice for God, to worship God wholeheartedly. And we see that in Malachi 2, and it's pretty awesome. Listen to this. You're going to say, well, this is, not, this is not the verse that I thought you were going to talk about after that story, but listen to this. And now you priests, this warning is for you. Now remember we talked about the priests last week, and what they're doing is they're offering these sacrifices, they're killing animals for God that are already no good at all, right? I mean, like I said this last week, a leg falling off of an animal, it's about to die, and they're like, burn it quickly because it will make God happy. And, and so God is really upset with them because this is disobedient and it's half-hearted, it's not really worship at all. And so that's really kind of the end of Malachi 1 and the beginning of Malachi 2 and much of what's in Malachi is written about these guys. And I read you Revelation 1, 5, and 6 last week because it's important for us to understand this as we read. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever. Amen. And so here's the deal. If you're a Christian, and I know that 
Maybe not all of you are, but if you are a Christian, then the Bible makes clear that we are now the priests. There is no longer a need for Jewish priests that kill animals, but we are the people who are responsible for being the sacrifices unto God through our our living sacrifice that I just read to you about, and, and through doing things that really elevate God on the earth. And so, you are the priests. And, and I think, given kind of, you know, the state of the American Christian church culture, that, that when God says, hey, priests, this warning is for you, I think we ought to pay attention to what the warning is. Okay, and verse 2 gives that warning. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And so here's... Two things, yeah, it's a serious warning. I'm getting your looks, like, and I'll explain it all in a minute. And it's, you, if you get sick easy, you need to close your ears in a minute, but I'll give you the warning. Uh, so here it is. First of all, they're not listening. It's a reference to obedience. So these priests are just saying, God, it doesn't matter what you say to me. That's the first deal. That's the first part of what God is really angry about. That's the first thing that's going to lead to dung on their face. It is simply that they are listening to the words of God, and they're saying, God, I don't care about what you have to say. We're going to do it our way. We're going to do it the cheap way. We're going to do it the easy way. The other thing is that they do not resolve to honor God's name. Now, God's name refers to His presence and who He is, His reputation on the earth. And so it's really a reference to God. And so these people do not resolve to honor God. Now, here's, here's the thing as I, as I was thinking about this. Disobedience is something we talk about a lot in the church, right? I mean, we talk about sin and there's certain things that you shouldn't do. We know that. That's, that's made, if you've ever been a part of church, then the things you're not supposed to do is made very clear to you. And these people are being disobedient there. However, what we fail to talk about a lot is the second part of what's making God angry. And that is that we should resolve, we should set our hearts on, that's what it literally means, set our hearts on bringing honor to God. Honor means, you know, like glory, splendor, fame. We should make God look good on the earth. And so here's my question for you, because usually the question is like, are you sinning? And are you making sure to read your Bible and pray enough? I mean, that's kind of like the Christian things. And, and if you've removed sin and, and you've, you're reading the Bible and you're praying, then it's all good and, and nothing else matters and you're perfect, right? But, but the second part is very important. And so here's my question. Have you set your heart towards, is your priority in life making God look good on the planet of earth? I mean, is your number one job, the thing that that really impassions you, that excites you, that you live for, is it to honor God? If not, then you fall into this category right here. This is one of the things God's upset about. He's not just saying you're disobedient. He's saying, look, your heart... The thing that you care about is not bringing me honor, glory, fame, majesty on this earth. And I think that that even the greatest Christians today are just too wrapped up in only, and this is important, but only avoiding things and reading the Bible and praying, but not wrapped up enough in saying, you know what I want to do in my life? I want to honor God. I mean, the, the thing that I want to do is I want to make Jesus look good. That's what I want to do. 
And so the, the deal is, I mean, if you're, the, the harshness of this warning, if, if really you're kind of a person who's just like, my goal is to make money. My goal is, to, and this is what most people say even within the church, to take care of my family. My goal is to be happy, to be successful, fill in the blank, whatever it might be. If that's your goal, then you need to listen to kind of the harshness of what God says next. Because whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, the reason that you were created was to bring glory to God. And if so if your heart is not on that, then you need to get your heart on that and you need to just, just really pay attention to how much God doesn't like it when, when people don't. So the first thing he says is that I'm going to curse your blessings. That's really bad, right? I mean, like even the good stuff in your life is going to become a curse, like something that, that ends up being really bad for you. Specifically for these people, what that references is the job that they have been given, and we'll talk about that covenant in a second, but they are the ones like that have the most access to God. They are the ones who get the opportunity to bring Him sacrifice, and God's saying, look, I'm even going to turn your job into a curse. Second thing He says, is that because they have not been obedient and not set their hearts to honoring Him, is that their descendants are going to be cursed. Now, one thing that's clear in the Old Testament is that God does not punish the children for the parents' mistakes. That's made very clear in the Old Testament. However, what we do see, even in our current culture, no matter what era you've ever lived in, is this. The decisions of a parent definitely affect the outcome of their children's lives. Right? I mean, isn't that the truth? And for these people, what's going to happen, is, and what we're going to find, is that they are going to be taken over, literally, by another another empire. I mean, their, their children, they're already kind of living in slavery, but they're going to continue to live in this kind of pseudo-slavery where, where they, they're not free to make their own decisions. And, and, and what God is saying, seem, seemingly, is simply, look, you're setting your kids up for failure. And here's kind of what we know. I mean, in our world and kind of in our country, you know, probably, I mean, we can't see it anyway. It could happen, but we can't see like, well, my decisions, God's going to punish, and then my kids are going to end up in captivity. I mean, that that's pretty pretty far from us. But we can see this, and it's just so true. Like, if you are not a person who has set your heart to honoring God and being obedient, then, then truthfully, your kids just statistically are, are not going to set their hearts towards that either. And, and I hate to be the bearer of horrible news, but, but really you're, you're just laying the foundation for your kid to go to hell. I mean, let me just be totally honest with you. I mean, it, it's really easy for us to, to say, and this is the kind of human way, right? Like, if I don't want to serve God, whatever, you know? I mean, it, that's my decision, and it only affects me, and it doesn't affect anybody else. But that's not true. I'm sure the priest said the same thing. Yeah, so uh, God's going to be mad at me. No big deal. But they were setting up their children for failure. And when we don't resolve to honor God's name and we're not obedient to God, then we set our children, the generations to come, up for failure. 
You can see it throughout history. I mean, every generation has their problems, right? We all do things wrong. But the pendulum always swings and gets all messed up. And, and, and kids, you see them rebel because their parents were on the legalistic side, you know? And, and they, they didn't want to honor God. They were all just about, you know, follow these rules. And then on the other side, what you see right now is, is the people who threw out the rules and said, Oh, God's all about love. Now you see kids that don't want to do anything right because it doesn't matter, right? And so you see that whatever you decide to do, you're going to have an impact on a future generation. And you need to be a person. You do. You need to be a person who takes that seriously. Now, the other part of this is the most graphic. I will smear on your faces the dung from the festival offerings and you will go out with it is what God says. Now, here's, here's kind of the deal. The dung is a reference. This is the time when if you get sick easily and you just ate one of those brownies, then you stop listening. But, but here's, here's the dung. You're warned now. The dung is the non-digested food that would be in one of the animal's stomachs. And so somebody would bring it, animal ate on the way to Jerusalem or whatever, and they were like, that's not clean to sacrifice, ceremonially clean. And so they would, I don't know whose job this was, but, but uh, they would get it out, and then they would take it outside the city before they burned the animal and that and then there was this pile out there and so when it says that you'll be removed out there this is a pile of this stuff and i i think i would be doing the passage an injustice if i didn't illustrate so again close your ear because your ears if you need to because because this is graphic right so and, and i think my parents already know the story that's coming but i've i've seen dung come out of somebody's mouth once um i was sitting at a schlotzky's uh and my sister had just ate this pizza at Schlotzky's and and then she got sick but the food wasn't like fully digested so it wasn't a vomit and it didn't come out the other side but what came out was dung there's no other way to describe it it was like this food that had been mashed and chewed and and eaten and started to digest but then it came out into her pizza box and and I told you to plug your ears if you didn't want to hear it. You can't blame me. And so, I only tell you the story not to be gross, not to be youth pastorish, but because, listen to the language. I will smear on your faces the dung. I mean, just the language, right? Like the pizza box. If somebody was like, I'm going to put this on your face, like I would have run like crazy. And the warning that God is giving these people is... If you don't turn and become obedient to me and set your heart to honoring me, then I'm going to smear that on your face. And not only that, you will be removed. You will be taken out as an unclean thing and you will be placed with this stuff. Now, whether he's being literal or not is unimportant. The real important thing is to see the harshness of the language. It's not something that we would say to somebody flippantly, right? That's gross if you do. But it's, but it's something... That God is saying, because He needs to get His point across. Look, if you're not obedient to me, you don't set your heart to honoring me, you know where I'm going to take you? I'm going to take you out with the stuff that is very, very unclean and very, very gross, because that is what you are to me and that is what your sacrifices are to me if you continue to live life the way that you're living life and to lead these people astray. That's what it's saying. Now listen to verse 4. And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. Even in the midst of this very harsh rebuke, we find the love of God. Isn't that cool? Because the covenant is God's love in promised form. And so God looks and He says, Look, 
I'm going to punish you, and it's going to be very, very severe. And the reason for that is because I want the covenant to continue. I want our relationship of love that we are supposed to have to move forward. Now, here's the deal. The covenant with Levi is only talked about a couple of times here and in Nehemiah. And we actually don't know uh, what it refers to. Uh, but we do know that the Levites kind of had a job. And, and here's what we read in Numbers 3, 5 through 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Bring the tribe of Levi. Now you get that. Levi's a guy and he has kids and they make up a tribe. Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And so... God creates this kind of covenant where these people have uh, some benefits and God has a job for them to do. Now, here's verse 5. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. I gave them to him. This called for reverence and he revered me and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Notice. God offers in this covenant two things to Levi, life and peace. In the New Testament, it's quite clear, if you, if you know anything about the Bible, that Christians are offered those two things as well. Let me read you just three verses. John 3.16, this is in the King James Version. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came, this is what the Bible tells us, to die on a cross so that if we accept Him taking the punishment of our sin, we can live forever. Eternal life, perfection, heaven. Okay? So life is offered to us, all of us, and those of us who are Christians can accept it. Colossians 1, 1 and 22 talks about the peace with God that we can have through Jesus. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Now here's the deal. God And us, we're enemies if we are not Christians. But if we become Christians, then we have peace with God. We are no longer enemies. Instead, we have this reconciliation, this peace. Philippians 4, 7 talks about the peace in Jesus that can come inside of us. Like that that feeling that you want. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Christians have peace and have life. People that don't know Jesus have an opportunity for that in Jesus. If you're one of those, I just I, I would encourage you to grasp a hold of it. It's really good. But here's here's where we got all messed up. I don't know when, I don't know where, but this is where we got all messed up. Somewhere along the lines, in the church, started to be taught that because we have peace in life, it doesn't matter what we do. The philosophy is something like this. God will forgive anyway. And so therefore... Don't worry about it. Just do what you want and then ask God for forgiveness later. You'll be okay. It won't be that big a deal. And what has happened is that Christianity has taken the peace and the life that Jesus offers and we have said, Thank you, God. I have no reason to fear you anymore. 
But what it says in this passage, if you were paying attention, is that the peace in life that God gave to Levi called for, notice it, reverence. The word means fear. It means scared. It means terrified. It means respect. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that backwards feeling? I mean, hey, I gave this guy named Levi and his tribe peace in life. And that called for something. What did it call for, God? I mean, did it call for worship? Did it call for joy? Did it call for people to celebrate? No, it called for them to be scared of me, to revere my name, to have this respect that that really causes somebody to tremble. That's pretty backwards. That's what it says. Believe I said, God, no, I don't care. I'm not going to do any of that. Whatever. You're giving me peace in life already. No, that's not what happens. It says that Levi had reverence and, here it is, this is where it connects to Robin Williams, awe for God. The word awe means shattering originally. It means terrified, afraid, broken, to break down, to prostrate yourself in front of someone. The idea is simply this. Levi looked at God and said, God, you've given me peace in life. And he recognized how amazing and how brilliant that was. And it caused him to just fall before God and say, You are so awesome. I I will stand in awe of you because of the greatness of who you are. You see, Levi didn't look at God and say, Thanks for the peace in life. Whatever. I'm going to go do my thing now. That's what the priests are doing that have this strict warning against them. But Levi looks at God and says, You have given me this great thing and you are so awesome and so perfect and so amazing. You created everything. Yet you gave me peace in life. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be broken in front of you. I will stand in awe of you. You see, that's the key. The key, if we're going to give God real sacrifices, is just that. We must say, look, I have peace in life and it's not going to cause me to say, whatever, God, I don't care what you're asking, I don't care what you're doing. It's going to cause me to stand in awe of Him and who He is. Now, it says here, and this is so key, uh, just the end of it again, true instruction was in His mouth and nothing nothing false was found in His lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from sin. You notice that? This guy, Levi, as he stands in awe of God, lives a very godly life. He speaks truth to the people and he causes many to repent and turn from their sins. Verse 7, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. It was literally the job of the priests to turn people from their sin. Leviticus 10, 10 and 11. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. The job of priests of what you are, if you are a Christian person, is to tell people what is good and what is bad, what is holy, what is not, what is clean, what is unclean, what is good, what is pure, what is right. It is your job to teach and to show that to the world as a priest. Levi did that, but listen to what the people did who didn't stand in awe of God. The people who said, oh, God will forgive us anyway. Just use the bad animal because it's God's job to forgive. Just give him the the leftover stuff. Give him the half-hearted stuff. We don't really care. This is what they did. But you have turned from the way. And by your teaching, you have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. These people aren't living for God. 
They're actually, this is what they're doing. They're actually causing other people to not live for God as well. Levi's, Levi's getting people to, to come to God and these people are pushing people further from God. And God says, I'm going to punish you. He says it again. And then he says another aspect of their bad behavior is they're showing partiality. Hey, you're rich. You don't need to follow this law as good because we want to get in our good graces with you. We want to, we want to have a good friendship with you because I have something to gain there. I don't know about you. First of all, if you're not a Christian, you become a Christian because you have a job to honor God. And He's offering you peace in life and your excuse of not taking it is not a good reason to not stand in awe of Him. That's just the truth and I want you to know that. But I also, if you're not a Christian, I also want you to hear this. We've failed you in, in many ways. I mean, we really have because we have been like the priests in Malachi who have not stood in awe of God. And, and part of the reason that you don't want to come to God is because you have looked at Christians and you said, well, they aren't really doing anything different than the world, so I don't even know what right and wrong is. And there's not any true instruction on their mouths because they don't seem to be talking like Jesus or sounding like the Scriptures at all. And so we, I, I shouldn't speak for everybody, I apologize to you if you fit into that category. For us who are Christians, for us who are Christians, we need to take this warning seriously. We are priests. It is our job to lead people to repentance. That means in the New Testament context, to lead people to a relationship with Jesus, right? That's what it means. It is our job to do that, to teach the world what is good and what is not good. That's our job. It is our job to live godly lives. And we ought to be people of obedience who set our heart on one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring honor to the God of the universe. And in the midst of it all, we see that that one of the key components, and this is the key component that I think is missing, is that we must stand in reverence and awe of God. We must be shattered before Him. We must be fearful of Him. We must have so much respect because we know what He did for us. We ought to look at the Creator of the universe, the One who made the stars, the One who made the sky, the One who made the earth, and we ought to say, wow, you are brilliant, and then you came here in the person of Jesus and you died for me. How amazing you must be. It feels backwards. We want to say, eh, now I don't need to respect Him. Now I don't need to care about what He thinks. But, but what it needs to be is that we ought to look at Him and how amazing He is because we know what He's done for us and we ought to respect Him all the more. We ought to respect Him even more than if He was saying, I'm going to kill you if you don't do what I say you need to do. We ought to say, wow, He let His Son be killed so that I could be saved and so I will be broken before Him. The time that I remember most in my life, it's a story that I told at the, at the benefit uh, thing we were a part of the other day, happened in San Diego. And I think it reflects a, a couple of verses. Um, let me read these to you. Because you say, well, I haven't seen God like, you know, I haven't seen a mountain on fire, and so this is a little more difficult for me. Habakkuk, which is properly pronounced Habakkuk 3.2, says this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Okay? I've heard of your fame, I stand in awe of you, and listen to this. Repeat them in our day, and in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk, it's like, I, I haven't actually seen you do the great things that I've read about. And I want to. But, notice what he said, I stand in awe of your deeds. I mean, I haven't seen them, but I heard about them, and so I stand in awe of them. And then Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 is so key. It's almost a repeat of Malachi and what we're reading today. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. 
He's, he's describing like, hey, hey, Christians, you have all this stuff and you don't need to sacrifice anymore and, and the world will shake and will go away, but, but your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that you brought, brought into if you're a Christian, it's never going anywhere. And so he tells us all these good things and then he says, you ought to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Since San Diego and I just graduated from high school and uh, I went to Hawaii and I really didn't want to go to San Diego. A girl that was there in my youth group had, had broken, this was for a mission trip, had broken my heart and I'm thinking, I don't want to see her, I want to spend all my money in Hawaii with my friends for our graduation trip, that sounds good to me, I, I don't want to deal with that stuff and uh, I just that's not something I want to be a part of. And So they're like... The, the youth people, and I hate this now that I've been a youth pastor, but at the time, whatever, they're like, we need to know if you're going, and like, yeah, I'll get back to you, and we need to know if you're going, and I'll get back to you, and so finally, they're like, hey, we need to know if you're going, and I'm like, I'm not going, you know, because my, in my head, I'm thinking, thankfully, I, I fly back on the day you guys are leaving, and so there's no way that we can make that happen. One of the youth leaders, John, I think was his name, said, I will come to the airport and pick you up, we really want you on this trip. John, I don't even like you. Um, I actually loved him. So, okay, whatever. So, fly out there. uh, Fly back from Hawaii to San Diego. So, I I go down there and we're ministering in southeast San Diego. And uh, the week's going on and... This incredible thing happened. I, I mean, if you've never been to Southeast San Diego, it's basically an extension of Mexico and culturally very different. And and there's no way that that I should be able to really connect with anybody that that lives there. And I give my testimony one night, and and this little kid named Mike, Mikey, he went by. Afterwards, he's like ready to give his life to Jesus, and he gives his life to Jesus. And we come back the next day, and. And he's like, hey, I need to talk to you. And I wasn't even allowed to go outside. I'm 17 years old, and they and it's not a very good neighborhood. And they're like, you really, you know, you need to go with another adult if you go anywhere. And you really should just stay inside this kind of church uh, block that, that that church had. And I don't know how, I, I must ask somebody, or I just was a rebel with a cause. I don't know, but, but I, I, I take a walk with this kid. And he looks at me, and and he says... You know that stuff you talked about from your life? That stuff you went through? Yeah. That's my life, pretty much. And I was just blown away by how amazing God is. That that He would bring me to Southeast San Diego in a place where I can't go outside and make me connect with this kid who's half my age at the time and has nothing in common with me. And and during that week, one night, we, we stayed at Point Loma University. And and the backdrop for where we would sing to Jesus was the Pacific Ocean. And it was incredible. And, and one night, I remember being up there. And and I don't remember what we were talking about per se. But this, this guy named James, he led music for us in our high school group. He was a high schooler too. He told us this story. And, and, and he said... I was out and I was standing in the ocean and I was, I don't know where our youth leaders were during this whole deal, but, but he's standing out there in the ocean and, and he said he was praying and, and he's like, God, I don't feel you and, and I just, I need something. He said the waves had been to his ankles for a long time. And as soon as he said those words, a wave just up to his shoulders just hit him. 
and he was blown away again by God. And I remember being there, looking out at the Pacific Ocean, thinking about how God had worked things out for me to actually be there and to lead a young man to Christ and to connect with people I didn't know and about the work he had done in James and about the things I had seen and the blessings I had in my life and how amazing the Pacific Ocean was as this backdrop to sing about Jesus and looking up at the stars. And I remember just being in awe. I mean, just, like, God, you are so much bigger and better and more awesome than I can even probably fathom in this moment, and I really feel like you're pretty big and awesome and amazing right now. And I tried last night as, as, I was, as I was processing and going over this in my head, I, I just, I was out walking and, and trying to, just looking at the stars and, and just trying to think through those moments. And I was once again in awe. And, I, and it wasn't that God was doing anything incredible. It was just that I was remembering. And so here's, here's what I want you to hear. If you're a Christian, then you've been awed by God before. I mean, there's been a moment in your life where you're like, wow, that's incredible. I just I want to stand in awe of you. And, and, and I want you to just get back to that place. I think we let that go, maybe because of our theological boxes, maybe because we just forget, maybe because of the world, I don't know. But we kind of let those things go, and we end up in a place where we're just too comfortable with God. It's just too easy. He'll forgive me. I don't, I, I, it's such a chore to, stand, to hang out with Him. And, and, and we, just, we just need to, I mean, if we're really going to be people of true, genuine worship, then we need to stand in awe of Jesus. I mean, we just need to say, hey, you're awesome. I mean, even if you didn't give your life for me, you're awesome. But you did. You've blessed me. You've done things in my life. And so I will stand here and I will be broken. I will be. Bro- Some of you need to literally be broken, I think. You just need to cry in front of Jesus. I mean, the, the, the times that I move forward the most is when I'm just broken. I can just look back at my life and, and think about, like, when I've grown... You, Growth is, is a process, sure, but the, the process is really sped up when I just am in front of God and I'm like, wow, you're better than me. I really need you. And so some of you need to do that this morning. And so I'm going to say a prayer for you. And some of you need to do that in your lives. And some of you just, again, need to kind of remember you don't, you need, you don't need to cry. You don't need to, you know, just have, have this crazy moment. You just be like, man, God, I kind of forgot how awesome you are and I want to return to that because I remember you did this thing and I can look at the stars and see how great you are and I live in Oregon and the beauty is incredible and you, you created it and, and some of you just need to get back to there. So I'm going to pray for you and then, and then we're going to sing this song and, and as we sing this next song, I'll just be in awe of who our God and Savior is. Lord, we're too flippant with you and... Uh, just pray that, that you would change that, Lord. And We're about to sing a song and then we'll take communion after that, God. And in these next moments where we, where we kind of think about how great you are and, and how great of a sacrifice you made for us, I, I pray, Lord, that, that in these moments that you would take the hearts of the people in, in front of me and you would do something incredible and you would cause them to be broken. You'd cause my heart to be broken in front of you. And Lord, I, I pray that, that uh, we would never be kind of moving away towards a respect and a fear and, and being broken in front of you. But, but instead, we would always be moving towards more and more of that. Where we just grasp more and more who you are and how great you are and how wonderful you are and how awesome you have been to us, Lord. Um, God, there's some people here and listening that 
that have never stood in awe of you. They just they go through this life and they think, well, I don't care what God thinks, and they don't know you at all, and they've never given their lives to you because they have no respect for you. And I pray, God, whatever you need to say in their hearts and their minds and their souls right now, God, that you would say it so that they would stand in awe of you and they would revere your holy name and they would give themselves to you. For those of us who are Christians, God, just just bring us back. Bring us back to looking out over the Pacific Ocean, southeast San Diego. Bring us back to that moment when when we gave our lives to you. Bring us back to that moment when we couldn't do something on our own, but you came through, God, and you surprised us by your, your awesome power. Bring us back, Lord, to a place where we stand in awe of you. Ask these things in your name. Will you stand up in a physical sense and, and sing about your offer, God?